Hello and welcome to Spawned, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. And I'm Liz Gumbiner. We're the founders of CoolMomPicks.com. And today we're going to be talking about school and whether (laughs) you should consider homeschooling your kids. It's what everyone in our feeds is talking about. It's the focus of a big article on Cool Mom Picks this week. So we figure, you know what? Let's discuss it here on the show today to help you make your own best decisions and think about some of the considerations. And as always, we will close out our show with our Cool Picks of the Week, and we will talk about all of this tough stuff right after this. If you want to raise kids who are critical thinkers, you'll want to check out GPS the Series, a new animated series from today's sponsor, Cisco. It features a diverse team of teenage superheroes from around the globe, that's the GPS, each representing a different skill set. But what's cool is that they're not fighting vampires or racing around to other planets. They're more like regular, relatable smart kids who are taking on real-world social, economic, and environmental problems we face globally and encouraging your kids to do the same. It's more than an animated series. It's actually part of a complete educational program created by Cisco and available free online to students, parents, and educators. It's designed especially to help kids learn to innovate as a technologist in an increasingly digital world, think like an entrepreneur, and act as a social change agent to bring more good to the world. To learn more about GPS The Series, visit gpstheseries.com and watch it with your kids. That's gpstheseries.com. Today's episode of Spawned is also graciously brought to you by our friends at Breyers Carb Smart, which partners with American farmers for 100% grade A milk and cream. By now, we know you've heard us raving about our new favorite frozen treats, Breyers Carb Smart, which is available in tubs and the bars that our kids love over the summers in yummy flavors like caramel swirl, chocolate covered almond, vanilla, peanut butter, and my daughter's favorite, vegetables, each with only 150 calories or less and just three to five grams of net carbs per serving. So here's a special offer for our listeners from Breyers Carb Smart to help you satisfy your next sweet tooth craving with fewer carbs. Just go to briars.com slash spawned to get a special $2 off coupon that you will not find anywhere else. That's $2 off. That's a lot there. To enjoy these delicious Briars Carb Smart frozen treats, they're especially great for folks doing low carb, trying to eat a little better, but still enjoy the summer, you know, we all deserve it. That's briars.com slash spawned to print your $2 off coupon today. So Kristen, I'm excited to talk about this issue that parents are really grappling with, which is what are we going to do with our kids in September? But I think first, it's really important for us to kind of set up our own backgrounds because I want to be really clear. This is not like a we should all homeschool episode. It's really about helping you choose. Me, I am a devoted very devoted public school parent of a rising eighth grader and a 10th grader. We're in New York City. I'm thrilled with both of my kids' schools. I think they've been lucky enough to have really good teachers and excellent administration through all of this at-home learning. I know not everyone has that situation, but we have. And so um, the idea of homeschool basically terrifies me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm here to help. You make it a little less scary because you've been writing about it for years. Yeah. So I was actually homeschooled from sixth grade through high school. So I actually never went to high school. I don't have a high school diploma. Just putting that out there. I do have a lot of college degrees. No high school diploma. My kids (laughs) were homeschooled on and off when they were younger. I actually wrote a column about homeschooling over at the Pioneer Woman a while ago. And currently I've got two kids in public school and two kids in 
in private school. Actually, my four kids all go to different schools. <laughs> so, <laughs> end of year woo. teacher gifts are really fun for you. Yes, they <laughs> are. So, I think we should start also by talking about what our school districts are actually doing. I know your schools just kind of let out, Liz, so you might yeah. not have any information yet. So New York City, home of the we are in school until summer's almost over. <laughs> <laughs> no, my kids got out officially June 26th. So that's uh, that's pretty recent. Look, the New York City DOE has to figure out what to do with 1.1 million public school students. And that does not include all the private charters and the private schools. So the, that's a lot of kids. So they don't know yet. I mean, we've gotten surveys just like everyone else that's asking us, would we feel most comfortable if our kids stayed home in the fall? Would we feel comfortable if they come in one week and then off one week? Would we feel comfortable if they do A-B days? So they're in Monday, Wednesday, Friday, then home Tuesday, Thursday. I do not have any guidance yet. I think that they're really trying to figure it out and no one knows we're in uncharted territory. And even though everyone's frustrated, I give them a wide berth here because we're just getting new health guidance day by day. Like everything mm -hmm. keeps changing. So I'm just yeah. trying to be flexible and not freak out and go along with it. How about you? What's yeah. happening in Philly? I think the key is to not freak out, which I think is very difficult when everyone is talking about it. So there are a few districts near me that have released their regulations. And for the most part, it's basically kids in school for maybe half of the school week. So I'm not super optimistic that my kids are going to be in school for five days. Not that I necessarily want that. In my school district, and I'm speaking specifically about our public school district, we have some preliminary recommendations. These are not ones that they're necessarily going to adopt, but they're what they're releasing to us right now. And they're basically looking at no masks in school uh, are required. They're going to be required on the bus. Kids will be spaced three feet apart. And, you know, oh, I, kind of, I know I kind of got hung up on all that stuff. So I might not have even looked at everything else. My oldest is at a private school and it's a boarding school. So they have a unique situation. And I think they're going to do some sort of hybrid where they'll do small classes in the morning and then afternoons will be online or like individual sessions. And uh, they will be wearing masks. I don't have any information about my youngest daughter who's going into fourth grade and also goes to a private school, but I should have that by the end of the week. So basically the TLDR, Liz, is I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> we all have no clue. And then we have so much conflicting information, yes! right? And I'm oh. pro-science and I read as much as I can about this. I know one of the issues is having lots of people in enclosed spaces with no open air and the wrong kind of circulation and no filtration. So I don't know how three feet apart or six feet apart really matters if you're going to be in like a stuffy classroom all day And either. no masks. Yeah, and no masks. So I, I don't know. And I'm concerned about teachers. You know, like, yes. when, you know, our kids are one thing, but what about teachers and teachers who are also parents? by the way. So I know that the AAP has just recommended that kids go back to school. I understand why. I know the teachers union is not so sure about that. Numbers are going up in a lot of places. I'm lucky that in New York, they're pretty stable so far, but like that can change in a minute. So I thought it was really interesting when Kate, who's our, our resident homeschool mom, wrote a post on Cool Mom Picks recently, especially because you were homeschooled yourself. You guys had a lot of discussion about it. Yeah. And, and what she talked about was 
that homeschooling is a big commitment with a lot of considerations. And that even though we were calling it homeschooling, it really wasn't. Dis- the yeah. distance learning <laughs> right. that we were all doing this spring with our kids is not the same as homeschooling. Correct. And I know homeschoolers got their backs up a bit, like, you know, hey, you don't understand like how much work we put into it. And and it helped me see, like, you're right. When we said homeschooling, it minimized the work that homeschooling parents actually do when they're homeschooling their kids. And that, you know, sitting with your kids to make sure they're on a schedule or sitting through Zoom calls with them or even, you know, helping your kid learn how to conjugate Spanish verbs, which I did, even though I did never <laughs> took Spanish. <laughs> like, that may be work. It may be time consuming. It may be emotionally draining, but it's not the same as fully homeschooling your kids. So the, I was really glad how she pointed this out to parents who think it's just going to be what they were doing in the spring where you get guidance from the school and you're, hel- you know, I think some parents are thinking, well, I'm kind of like helping them anyway, so I might as well do this. But there's a lot more to it than that, right? Absolutely. Whether you choose to do a program separately or your school is going to offer a program, there's a lot that goes into homeschooling beyond what we basically did which is survival. I think that was just called survival. <laughs> yeah. So listen, I want to ask you some questions. You're yeah. going to be my guest today, Kristen. So I, I just want to say, to be clear, this is non-judgmental. If you choose to send your kids to school, you are not irresponsible and horrible. If you choose to homeschool, you are not giving up on the system. Like, I think we are all trying to figure out the right thing to do. And we are just trying to help you ask yourself questions and look through the answers so that you can do what's right based on where you live, who your kids are, what your work situation is, your financial situation. There's a lot of considerations. So, Kristen, let's just jump right in. I would like to know, first mm-hmm. of all, you have kids of varying ages, which yes. makes you a great expert to answer this question. <laughs> What's the difference between homeschooling a second grader versus, say, a high schooler? Because my initial thought would be that the younger kid might be easier to homeschool because you don't have to know quadratic equations or, like, deep-cut theory on the Revolutionary (laughs) War. (laughs) But on the other hand, younger kids probably need more of your time and attention. So, I don't know. What am I missing? What's the difference? No, I think you nailed it, really. I think that when you're homeschooling younger kids, it feels like it would be easier because you may have had that material. I mean, I quadratic equations, I don't even remember. But the truth is, you know, <laughs> do you even remember fourth grade math? Like, let's be honest, like a lot no, of that I stuff. No, I am not smarter than a fourth no, grader. No, I am not either. <laughs> it's going to be time consuming either way. It's just a different kind of time consuming. I think with your high schooler, there are so many online classes and opportunities that honestly weren't available to me. I mean, there wasn't even internet when I homeschooled. So there's way more now that you can enroll your high schooler in so that they can learn with other students even in real time, particularly those courses that you may not be able to teach them. Or, I and mean, I'm thinking like foreign language. I'm thinking math. I mean, I mean we, we could probably do a good job with English, maybe with writing, Liz, but there are a lot of things that would be really difficult for anyone to do, even a teacher with a high schooler. Now, younger kids, yeah, the material might be easier, but you need to look at how much actual time, physical time you're going to need to be sitting next to them, helping them, keeping them on task. And I'm glad you brought that up because one thing we know, and we've discussed this before and we've written about it before, is that we know that kids learn better. Research has proven this 
in person from somebody teaching them information versus seeing it on a screen. They did studies way back when teaching little kids some kind of demo. And then later they repeated it with different kids with the same teacher doing the demo, but on a tablet. And they found the kids that had the in-person learning retained the exact same information a lot better and Mm -hmm. understood the concepts better. Mm -hmm. So how do you grapple with that? I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting at is it's not as simple as like, oh, let's just find some brain pop videos and you can watch those and then I'll come back to you later. (laughs) No, it's not. I mean, it comes down to how your kids are, who they are, their personality, how they learn. And, you know, teachers do such a good job of understanding their students and knowing how kids learn. That's why they're not online all day at school. They have different opportunities. They work in small groups. They work alone. They do whole classroom work. They do some online. There's a reason why teachers do that, right? It's because they know that different kids learn in different ways. And so as parents, we may not know as much about our kids in that way. And so I think it's important if you're going to consider homeschooling, you really need to understand how your kids learn and how they function and what their personality is. I mean, there are just some kids who do really well learning on their own by themselves on a computer. They can do it. Me, on the other hand, like if it was me, I need to be with a group of people. I need that interaction. I need the discussion, Mm. even when I was younger. And so if you've got a kid like that, you know, and you're like, hey, I want to homeschool them. Well, what are some opportunities where they can be with other people? Maybe it's a small group co-op. Maybe it is a real-time classroom where they can interact with people. So you really need to look at their personality, how they learn when you're deciding what you're going to do with them. And, you know, I want to follow up on the point you made earlier, which was really interesting to me about the expertise of classroom teachers. You were talking about how they really get to know differentiated learning styles. Absolutely. And we should learn that too. But also teachers have gone to school for many years to learn how to be good teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like we always joke about being writers that everyone thinks they can write because they can pick up a pencil. Yes. <laughs> and we're like, no, we're pros. And so I think a lot of parents think, well, I could just teach. What questions do Do parents need to ask themselves honestly about the skills that they have, what they know and what they don't know Mm -hmm. that would make them a viable homeschooling teacher? That's a great question. You have to look at your own level of empathy (laughs) and patience. It's not so much to me about what teaching skills do you have, right? Because let's think about it. You've got maybe one, two, I've got four, but I'm not teaching them all at the same time. So being one-on-one with a child, you don't necessarily have to deal with what teachers have to deal with is classroom management issues, right? Mm. And how do we instruct while we're also managing kids who might be out of hand? We're not going to encounter that necessarily as parents. So really what it comes down to is how is your relationship with your kid? Uh. How are you able to work with them in other circumstances? I mean, there are a couple of my kids, we get along really well. We can have long discussions about things. People don't generally get angry. I've got a couple other kids where we don't get along very well when it comes to debating, right? Or if I'm trying to show them something, they want to do it on their own. So I think it's more about how is your energy with each other? How do you interact with your child? How have you done instructing them on how to ride a bike? And how do they respond to you when you do that? Those, to me, are the more important aspects aspects or skills, if you will, not necessarily 
how are your fractions? That is, you know what? That's brilliant. I'm really glad you mentioned that. And it's something I hadn't even thought about, that there are times, you know, one of my daughters will come to me with an essay and ask for comments or is there anything I could fix? And I'll tell them and they'll be like, great, that's awesome. Thank you so much. This helps. Then there'll be times where they basically think, oh, so you didn't like it. And they'll walk away and they'll sulk and be upset Mm -hmm. because what they're getting is not editorial comments, but like rejection from mom. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I hadn't even thought about that, but there's a lot of relationship dynamics Mm -hmm. going on and you teaching your own kids. Yeah. And listen, there are a lot of services out there that have been around for many years that utilize actual teachers in a homeschool setting. So you can step out of it as a parent and hire the service. Again, it depends on your means, of course. But when I did eighth grade, I used a program from Calvert, which is still around. And we had a teacher and she graded all of my work. So my mom was more of a conduit. And that actually was helpful when it came to our relationship because I wasn't getting my papers graded by my mom. Someone (laughs) else was grading them. And so we could kind of maintain our parent-child relationship and not add that third aspect, which can be very difficult for some kids and parents. Wow, that's really something I hadn't thought about as someone who will probably never homeschool my kids. That's really, that's really interesting. But now it's making me realize that we actually have that dynamic, even if we're not, even if we're just helping our kids with their mm-hmm. schoolwork. Totally. So, okay, you talked about the consideration of like the, the energy, the commitment, mm-hmm. the temperament, knowing whether you're going to be good at this. But what should parents be prepared for in terms of timing? Like how much time you'll spend? Will your life change completely? Is this a full-time undertaking? It just depends on how you want to approach it. I mean, I think what people don't get is that when you're not in a school setting, you're not dealing with transitions between classrooms. You're not dealing with classroom management issues, and you can get a lot more done in a short amount of time. Yeah, I hear that a lot. So you're not going to be teaching for six, seven hours a day. Kids are probably going to be learning between two and three hours. Some of the online public school programs say it's five hours, but you're not really online staring at a screen for that amount of time is basically how much you're working. So I think it really depends, you know, and what's great about homeschooling is that you can be flexible. So if your kids are late risers and you're a late riser, you know, you could start after lunch and you could spend that morning, you know, if you're working from home, working. Oh, my teens are now going to be like, homeschool, homeschool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you're a morning person and you feel like you want to get it done, then you can start off in the morning. There is that level of flexibility. Now, you know, Yes, and we're going to talk more about this when it comes to working, because it is difficult. It really is. I mean, school is an undertaking, no matter how old your kids are or how independent they are. And it's certainly a consideration. You know, even if your kids are self-sufficient and they're working on their own, you are still sort of beholden to them, right? You, You are their manager. You are managing, teaching, principaling. You're doing all of the things. And so I think it's difficult to completely disconnect while your kids are in. In their learning mode. I think that's also why this is such a frustrating subject for so many parents, because mm-hmm. I think if you have the financial security it takes to not have to work, or if you have a job where you can work at home with flexible hours, mm-hmm. then that's great. But I think there are a lot of parents who probably would like to homeschool or feel like that would be the best thing for their kids, but they're not able to make that decision. Yeah, that is the challenge of all of this, right? And I think Deb Perelman's recent article, she really just went there. Oh, it's you know, so I think good. In the New York Times. We've been waiting for someone to just bring this issue up in that yes. 
how are we going to do this? I mean, we struggled through those whatever two, three months, depending on where you lived. I mean, we made it through most of us feeling a little bit of trauma from the whole situation. And now to kind of look ahead at fall, you know, especially as businesses are opening, many parents are going to need to go back to the office. Some of us won't have the option to stay home. There are many families right now that just cannot. Like, they can't. That is not even feasible. And then what do you do with the feeling of, I'm putting my child at risk every day. I, I just, it's so much to grapple with and no one's really talking about that. It's true. And I, and I want to point our listeners towards two articles that are really excellent. One just came out this morning from Deb Perlman, who you actually might know as a food blogger from Smitten Kitchen. She's terrific. And she wrote an op-ed in the New York Times called In the COVID-19 Economy, You Can Have a Kid or a Job, You Can't Have Both. And she hits so many of the points we've been struggling with. And then there's another really good article from, the op-ed columnist Michelle Goldberg, who I love in the New York Times, about remote school being a nightmare, but that a lot of people in power don't mm-hmm. care and that the government is not treating the need to reopen schools as an emergency and they're not putting enough energy and money behind it. And anyway, they're really good without getting too much into it. Really worth reading both of them to help you figure out whether you will have the resources that you need to make you successful as a homeschooling parent. Yeah, they're fantastic. And I think that discussion needs to happen. You know, we are obviously fortunate to even have the discussion of should we or should we not, right? And I think we both know that, yeah. that it is a privilege to be able to have this conversation because there are families who cannot. And then at the next level, it's like, well, how do we do this and work, right? It's like one thing to just choose to homeschool your kids because you're worried about their safety or you feel like they're going to have a better educational experience given the regulations that schools are going to have to follow. But then it's also, how do I do this and work and keep our family alive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There was actually an article this week that went kind of viral on Scary Mommy from a woman who claims to have been fired from her job because her kids were always asking for her attention and could be heard on her conference calls. And her boss at a financial firm said, you better deal with your kids or get out of here. I haven't followed up on what happened with that story, but a lot of people in my feeds have been talking about that. So I I do think that all of this is going to change a lot of things in terms of the value Mm -hmm. of work working parents, working moms, two-income families, working from home, childcare. It's just so complex. So speaking about the resources we need, Kristen, let's talk about spouses and partners should we have them. There don't seem to be a lot of homeschooling dad communities online. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And maybe I just haven't seen them, but I don't hear about that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'd just like to know your point of view on that. Like, if you do have a partner or a spouse or husband, where do they come into this? Well, you know, schooling is a family decision, right? You know, every partner or spouse should be involved in the discussion in the decision if you're in a two-parent household. You also then need to address who is going to be schooling the kids, whether it's going to be one person completely responsible, whether you're going to share the tasks. I mean, there are, I would say, more advantages to disadvantages to having more teachers, right? And I always think about that. It's mm. I think about it like family members, too. We even talk about divorce and we say, oh, there's like more step parents. It's more people to love your kids. It's more yes. perspectives for your kids to hear. And we are not the best at everything. <laughs> you know, your spouse or partner may be better at certain things. He or she or they may be more understanding, more patient than you are when it comes to certain subjects. You know, maybe you are someone who is a mathematician and you think, 
well, the mathematician should teach the kids math. That's not always the case because that person, right, may not have the patience and the understanding that they need to teach math to a fifth grader or a second grader. Oh, yeah. I will just say, I tried to take an online dance lesson recently from someone who's like an amazing dancer, and it turned <laughs> out they were not an amazing dance teacher. Yeah, They were just kind of showing big off their difference. crazy hip-hop moves, and I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> yes. No, there's a big difference. But I think partners need to speak to each other. They need to understand what the undertaking is for doing something like this. And so if you decide in your family that one person is going to be handling the education, how is that other partner going to be supporting them in other aspects of your life? Because work doesn't stop. The house doesn't run itself. You know, people still need to cook. People still need to clean. So then how are you going to find that balance? You know, we know it's not always going to be 50-50, but certainly both partners need to be aware of the burden. I don't want to put it negatively, but, you know, the burden of being the educator the in the family, job. the job, right? You know, who is going to do the other things? How are the other things going to get Done. So, but let me ask you honestly, like maybe I'm just not seeing it because again, I'm not in homeschool communities and boards. You were the one writing for Pioneer Woman and getting comments and questions. Do you see a lot of two parent homeschooling families, like where both are equally invested or, or both are involved with the schooling of the kids, or does it tend to fall on the mom? I think it tends to fall on the mom. I think traditionally many homeschooling families started for religious reasons. And so there mm. were a lot of families that were very traditional, if you will, right, where the dads were working and the moms were staying home and they were taking on the job of homeschooling. Now, there are certainly many communities that have emerged. You know, there are secular homeschoolers. There are, you know, very religious homeschoolers. There are road schoolers, right, who are just on the road. And the reason why they're homeschooling is because they're, you know, nomadic and they're not in one place. Yeah, don't do that right now, though. We're having a yeah, pandemic. I know. This, that, no that's a little tricky <laughs> at this point in time. You know, so I do think traditionally, yes, it has been largely the mom figure who has been homeschooling. I don't think that means that dads aren't involved, nor do I think that there aren't two-parent homeschooling households. I think that that's just been where the practice in many ways had started, at least in our century, if you will, right? Well, that's fair. <laughs> that's totally fair. And I think, uh, I'm, I hope we're making progress towards more equity in in terms of our kids' education and who's responsible for it. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a little bit about two parents, if we have them in the household and, and whether they should both be involved. How about if you have two different kinds of kids or more in the household? Do you think it's possible to homeschool one, but another goes to school? Or Totally. Absolutely. Yeah? I mean, if you look at homeschooling like a different kind of schooling, right? If you look at public school, private school, religious school, homeschooling, it's a different type of schooling. And in many cases, each schooling choice will work best for a specific kind of kid. Again, let's go back to choices. Many of us don't have the choice to send our kids to private school. And so we have to send them to public school, where in many cases there are more kids in classrooms. Like that's just kind of the nature of the beast, right? We don't have options. You know, we don't make choices. But if you're in a family where you can make a choice, there are settings that will be more ideal for certain children. And, and I can use my own family as an example. All my kids were in Montessori school when they were little. That's just kind of the nature of where we were. I homeschooled them briefly. And then my oldest went to public school and just had a really difficult time. Socialization was really hard for her. She's an introvert. The larger classrooms, she just 
was distracted and I took her out and homeschooled her and then put her into a private school where there are only 10 to 12 kids in each classroom. And she's thriving because that environment just works better for her. Conversely, there are kids, I've got two of them, who are fantastic kids in public school. They love it. They love socializing with all the kids. They are easily focused on tasks, even in large groups. They are active in activities. They're extroverts. It's it's great for them. They really thrive there. So I think that's a really important point to mention because we really haven't touched on this. We've talked about whether you would be a good homeschooling parent. How do you know if your kid is a good candidate as a homeschooled kid? Well, again, it's going to depend on a lot of things, right? And we're in an odd situation right now because a lot of families are considering homeschooling who would never have considered it before. And they're considering it for perhaps kids who might not thrive in the setting because of whatever they're deeming, whether it's safety reasons or they feel like they're not going to get the best education given the regulations. So, you know, we're in a weird circumstance. It's not typical. You know, if I was a parent looking at homeschooling my kids, I have two kids who I know just it's probably not the best decision for them. They thrive in a classroom setting with other people around and they really need that in order to learn. They're easily distracted when they're by themselves. And it's just not the best situation. We don't really get along when we're trying to teach each other stuff. It just doesn't work. Then I have kids who they can learn really well on their own. They are a little more laid back. They still think I'm cool and want to listen to me. Or they feel comfortable coming to me when they have a problem and can figure some things out on their own. Mm -hmm. It's pretty logical, right, when you think about the situation and you're like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the only one. My kids are going to be home. They're not going to be around lots of kids all the time. How are they going to do with that particular experience? And that's what the AAP was bringing up. The reason the AAP made recommendations that kids go back to school is they said that the evidence shows that the academic, mental, and physical benefits of in-person learning outweighed the risk from coronavirus. So, you know, to your earlier points, it seems like if you do feel that you need to homeschool your kids, that you find other opportunities for them to try to get those mental and physical benefits of in-person learning, whether it's like with a small group like you were talking about, socially distant field trips. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there are co-ops. Who knows if there are two or three homeschooling families who might sort of quarantine with each other and bubble together, and then they could all learn together. There are opportunities for maybe there's one parent who's great at science, and so they agree to teach all the kids science. And you've got another mom who's a writer, and she agrees to teach everybody English. So there are really creative ways that families can create opportunities for their kids to learn, even if that one-on-one setting might not be ideal for them. You know what? But I think overall, if this wasn't a pandemic, we probably would say that not all kids are cut out for homeschooling. And if we really wanted to homeschool our kids, we would need to make sure that what we chose to do with them, whether it was an online setting, whether it was making our own curriculum, whether it was a homeschool co-op, fit their own personality and their learning style. Well, Kristen, you are an outstanding guest, and I'm so happy to have you on Spawned today. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you very much. We could talk about this forever. Yes. And actually, I hope we can continue the conversation online with our listeners. So we'd love to hear from you about this in the Spawned community on Facebook, or you can leave comments on the podcast notes page on Cool Mom Picks. We have quite a few homeschooling past and present moms on our team that I think would love to answer questions from different perspectives from different parts of the country. And hopefully we can help you make the decision that's right for your family. We know it's a tough one no matter what. But hey, we're going to be right back with our cool picks of the week right after this. It's summer. I don't know if you knew that because I know all the days are running together, but it is summertime. I know because I'm sweating more than usual (laughs) in the podcast closet today. I know. Me too, (laughs) which is why I'm so excited to talk about our sponsor, Briars, because hello, yummy frozen treats, perfect for summer. Yes. America's number one ice cream brand is out. As you all know by now, we hope with Briars Carbs Smart, a line of sweet frozen treats with just three to five grams net carbs per serving all under 150 calories. And TBH, Kristen, these days, considering I have been like saying yes to the cookies and the homemade bread Mm, and the pasta a little more often, if I can cut back the carbs here, I think that's a good place to go for me. Yeah, actually, (laughs) I'm just thinking about all the things that I've been eating. So yeah, definitely a good call. And folks may not know that they come in the tubs, which perfect. Love tubs for like sundaes and milkshakes and all those kinds of great things. But they also come in bars as well. Lots of tasty flavors, caramel swirl, chocolate covered almond, vanilla, peanut butter, and they're made with 100% grade A milk and cream. They've got this really cool partnership with American farmers. So Breyers Carb Smart, totally 100% grade A milk and cream. Plus, it's nice to feel good about a special treat for the kids. I know I've been doing a lot more treats as just a way to be like, we'll get through this together. Um, There's been definitely a lot more desserts in our family lately. So um, there's something about like having one of the bars or handing out the fudgesicles that kids are like so excited. You know how it is, like stick something on a stick and it's automatically 400 (laughs) times better for a kid. I know. It's kind of like Portland's like put a bird on it. (laughs) Put a stick stick in it. Put a stick in it. And you know what? We have such a great special offer for Spawn listeners. There is a $2 coupon waiting for you. Go to briars.com slash Spawn. Download that coupon and you can try them out for yourself. You can find them at Target, Kroger, Amazon, Pantry, all the major retailers. That's $2 off. That's a huge coupon, but you got to go to briars.com slash Spawn and download it and give those a try. I don't know. If your kids are like ours, they are going to love them. Okay, here's your new tagline. Briar's Carb Smart. Put a stick in it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right, so now we're back with our cool picks of the week. And Liz, before you get to yours, because I know yours is super important, I mean, not that mine isn't, but like yours is really oh, important. Oh, cool picks are always important, whatever they are. Okay. Guy Mara's talking about turmeric, important. <laughs> <laughs> Very important. But, What's your cool pick? Okay, Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda is having a moment, although I feel like it never went away. Like it was always having a moment. The moment but continues. The moment continues. And so we found these super cool Baby Yoda masks. They're on Cool Mom Tech. Kudos to Caroline on our team for finding these. They're adorable. They're and cute. They're very face masks. cool. Yeah. And they're yeah. great. They look like great face masks. She is selling out of these. So make sure when you go there, message her if you really want one because, and trust me, when you see them, you're going to want one. And we even have found Baby Yoda pajamas at Hannah Ann 
Anderson. So we, we are like heavy on the baby Yoda right now over on Cool Mom Tech. And I am very happy. <laughs> and they're all cute. But I love the face mask because you're supporting a small business also. Absolutely. always nice these days. What about you, Liz? Okay, so I didn't plan this, but it actually connects perfectly with our topic today. My cool pick is the Heroes Act. <gasps> yes. And if you haven't heard about that, that's because there's a lot in the news these days. True. So the House of Representatives, Congress, passed the HEROES Act. They passed this bill in May, which provides $915 billion in emergency funding for state and local governments to support teachers and public education. Mm-hmm. And so it includes, for example, more than $100 billion in direct emergency funding for students, for schools, to help kids maintain access to education and all the people involved with that. There's $7 billion just for child care providers so that more parents can get back to work if they need to. There's um, grants for student mental health. There's emergency funding for HBCUs, which are disproportionately impacted by this. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. It's stalled in the Senate. Surprise! Ugh. So not only have they gone on recess now for like two weeks for the 4th of July holiday, this has been sitting around since May, and I don't know that they're going to pass it. So I would urge you to look it up. It's called the HEROES Act. Contact your senators and insist yes. that they vote yes on the HEROES Act. You can use ResistBot, which I love. I love them. They yes. just let you do everything by text if you're like terrified to write a letter or make a phone call. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, like, the more money that we put towards public schools, not only does it give everybody an equal chance and it gives parents more options, but like, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. It lifts everyone up. Like, every kid does deserves the best education they can get, whatever that means for you. And so even if you're not a public school parent, this just helps make society better. So please, Heroes Act, ask your senators to please, please, please support it, especially if you have Republican senators that might not be inclined to do so. Mm, Absolutely. And we will link all of these things up, our cool picks of the week, as well as the many links that we discussed on our podcast over on our Cool Mom Picks podcast page. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Huge thanks to our engineer, John Bowen, and to our guest, Kristen Chase. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you know what? Let me give a shout out to Spawn, and I want to tell you, listeners, (laughs) how you can subscribe and support Spawn. Of course, you know how to do that. Click it right now while you're listening. You can download or save our episodes, leave us a five-star review, and honestly, the best thing you can do is tell a friend or family. You can actually send the podcast if you're listening on your phone. You can text it or you can even share it on your social media feeds very easily right while you're listening. And of course, don't forget, we have a brand new podcast, our Out Tech Your Kids podcast in 15 minutes or less. We offer some super helpful digital parenting tips, tricks, and advice. And you can also subscribe right now. It's so good. And we're getting such great feedback on it. It really is about how to be a tech positive parent this day and age. And by the way, I know people who aren't parents who are enjoying it because like the um, photo search tip for your iPhone, like people are loving that. Yes. So there's some cool stuff in there. And again, 15 minutes or less. We know you're super busy. So while Sponge might be your like carpooling around um, <laughs> podcast, that can be your like, I have 15 minutes to fold the laundry podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Spawn. This is Liz. This is Kristen. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.